Going beyond the headlines? Getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Welcome to the program. I have Dr. Evdokia Agnostiu. And uh, Dr. Welcome, first of all. You were in town for a very important conference taking a look at some of the neurodevelopmental disorders like ASD, Autism Spectrum Disorder, ADHD in children and, and youth. And uh, the conference wrapped up yesterday. Yes. I imagine you were a big success. You were one of the keynote speakers. Well, it was a it was a busy meeting. There were more than two hundred and fifty people who showed up. So wow! And the talks were all excellent. It was actually an excellent day. Well, and very. I think you know we were talking just a moment ago that this seems to be one of those areas where you know society, uh, parents, medicine, we're all still in this murky water. It feels like in some ways where we're trying to understand these different uh, disorders that can affect children and adults. And you're a neurologist uh, by trade. Mm -hmm. And so tell me a little bit about your theory, because it's a little bit different than some ones that uh, have been prevalent for a while. I mean, it's not an issue of theory. It's just we're learning more every day. And so we revise our ideas about what's going on, right? So with autism and with ADHD so far, um, we give the diagnosis based on a checklist of symptoms. And so kids who have social deficits and repetitive behaviors get an autism diagnosis. Kids who have hyperactivity and inability to pay attention get an ADHD diagnosis. But what we're learning when we now study these kids um, together is that the underlying biological processes in the brain and in the body from genetics uh, all the way down to the expression of our genes, all the way down to um, how brains actually wire, uh, seem to be very similar between the two. So although we have created this um, diagnostic categories or labels based on this checklist, we're having a very tough time figuring out distinct biologies. So biologies that are different between autism and ADHD and intellectual disability and sometimes even childhood obsessive compulsive disorder. So it looks like that there is a biological risk for developing a neurodevelopmental disorder or a neurodevelopmental difference, but that it expresses itself in different ways in different kids, it doesn't mean that the biologists or the differences are vastly different in our brains and in our bodies. Well, and that's one of the challenges, isn't it? Like you said, it has to be uh, more of a subjective diagnosis because if you were to look at the brain of a child with ADHD or or autism spectrum disorder, you're not going to be able to see, aha, there it is. Yeah, so that's a very good point. So um, that when we just look at pictures of brains, these brains are perfectly normal in the majority of cases. We have to use computational methods to try to figure out how the brains formed. So how did they wire? And what we're finding is that um, these brains have wired different from the beginning, from early in fetal life. And we find that for both kids with autism and ADHD, for example, and kids with intellectual disability, we do find differences between kids. So not all the kids have the same difference, but it's not the label of autism or ADHD 
that's helping us figure out what is the, the difference is. So we're starting to second guess ourselves about what's the point of these labels. And what is the point of, you know, of separating into different research categories when in fact some of what, uh, you know, this group that is studying and this group, if you were to be working together, perhaps you could get a little further. And that's what you're striving towards. Yes. So the, the idea here is if we cannot convince ourselves that these groups of kids have vastly different biologies, and we are all working in silos, you know, next to each other, but not really interacting with each other. How about if we start developing networks where we study all these kids and youth and young adults together to try to figure out if there are different biologies that we need to understand across all of these disorders, that would be important for the development of new treatments. But when it comes to figuring out what they need day to day in terms of, you know, um, adaptive function and quality of life and wellness, that chances are those things are not different. So, but by pooling our resources, we will expedite discovery in terms of what's going to make most difference in people's lives. So this seems very groundbreaking to me. You know, it's a stark difference. It's like a 180 from where we've been going. How has this been received by the medical community and how has it been received by the populace? So it's very interesting, right? Because the clinicians know that, and parents know that, very few kids only have one thing. So kids with ASD often grow up to also get, but 30 to 50% of kids with autism will also get an ADHD diagnosis later on in life. And by the time they get to adolescence, they will probably also get an anxiety disorder diagnosis or something else. So both clinicians and parents know that this diagnosis happened the same kid all the time. So the same kids have a variety of those diagnoses. So when I speak to parents, it makes sense to them. They're like, oh, my kid has a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of that. Mm -hmm. What you're saying makes sense. Clinicians, uh, we're in a bit of a difficult position, right? Because we we see that. And I do think we appreciate that that's probably how we have to shift uh, our thinking But we have developed a service sector that's completely based on diagnosis. So there's quite a bit of anxiety about what would happen if we were to abandon the original labels, but our sector is label-based in terms of what kid gets what services. And so there is a little bit of anxiety (laughs) about Mm -hmm. what this would mean for how we care for families and what kind of infrastructure we need to rebuild to um, address the needs of kids not based on diagnosis, but based on what they actually need. It seems Um, daunting, I'm sure. It seems a little daunting. But I do think that there is a kind of a general understanding that the data is moving that direction and that we have to challenge ourselves and revisit the old ideas about what it means to carry on of those labels. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you if there's something that... um, parents are doing that are placing their children into this uh, into a situation where they're vulnerable to be uh, you know an ADSD child an ADHD child this is one of the concerns for parents and a lot of uh, misinformation and information out there where parents feel like you know maybe it's something that I did and is that the case no so actually we have lots of evidence to give categorical answers for that particular question. So we know um, we know a lot about what happens in early development in fetal life. And we know that a lot of these neurodevelopmental differences actually start towards the end of the first trimester. And we know that a lot of these neurodevelopmental differences have a very strong 
genetic background. And by genetic, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it runs in the family. It means that the genetic composition of that original embryo, you know, the sperm and the egg that got together, determines quite a bit uh, uh, of, of how the brain is going to wire and develop. So there are very few things parents can do to interfere with that process. We are studying to see if a child has this genetic susceptibility, is there anything we can do during pregnancy or after in, in early postnatal life to shift it towards a better outcome? But I don't think parents should worry about having caused the neurodevelopmental difference. And that's a fascinating, that's a whole other conversation mm-hmm. of the ability to, uh, you know, intervene and, and perhaps guide things to go in a different direction. So one other thing that seems to come up is uh, that we are hearing of more cases mm-hmm. of uh, children who are diagnosed. So is it the case mm-hmm. that there are more cases or is it that we're better at diagnosing? So that's the million dollar question and I don't have a straightforward answer. There are a couple of things that help us think about this. So about 20 years ago, uh, two-thirds of kids with ASD would also have an intellectual disability. In our current numbers, only one-third of kids with ASD have an intellectual disability, which makes us think that all the new cases that we are adding on to these numbers are those very kids who have no intellectual disability, what people call high-functioning autism, although it's a bit of a... Not a very well accepted term. Mm -hmm. But so the idea is that kids who have no cognitive challenges, no difficulty with learning, um, but have other social deficits are much more likely to get an autism diagnosis now. Now, so so based on that, it's quite possible that we have given the diagnosis to a whole lot of kids who would just be quirky back in the day, right? Having said that, if this was cancer or any other disorder and the numbers were going up that fast, we wouldn't just give it an easy explanation like this without checking. And so we are doing a lot of work to try to figure out if there is, because we know that um, autism and ADHD, uh, for example, um, starts uh, a large percent of the time in our genes, but our genes talk with the environment and talk with our bodies in terms of deciding how to express themselves. And so we are spending a lot of time trying to figure out if there are any environmental things. And by environmental, we mean things like the fetal and things that may happen during the fetal pregnancy, so in the fetal environment, the biology of the mom, the biology of the dad, um, as well as some early exposures early on in life that could interact with genes to kind of give us a slight increase in the number of cases that we make in the diagnosis. So both are true. And you often hear that from parents where they say it's like something just unlocked and they noticed that something was different or, you know, and again, it's, is it that they just keyed in on it or is it that something unlocked? I mean, it must be very challenging from your chair. Yeah. So actually the, the unlocking story is not uncommon, but that does not mean that it's an environmental exposure. So a lot of, um, development of behavior happens not continuously, but in stages based on how the brain matures. So we may not have an expectation of a particular social skill until the brain reaches a a particular level of maturation. Until that point, we won't be able to tell that there is a deficit because it's it's normal not to do that skill. You're, you were too young. That makes sense. But when we get to the stage where the expectation comes for a particular skill, then it becomes very obvious that we don't have that. And it looks like a sudden onset, but it's not actually sudden onset. The other thing that we see is that 
if you think about what happens to the brain the first five years of life, it's a very active brain. So what it does is it grows, but it also shrinks at the same time. So it, it grows connections, but it also kills all the connections that are not important so that you can stay all, only with the meaningful connections and not have a very noisy brain. I've heard it said before, if you were to think of it like uh, a, a page of writing in front of you and you had a Sharpie and a highlighter and you Sharpie out the parts you don't need and you highlight the parts that you exactly. do. Exactly, it does editing. Like the brain edits itself to, to make itself efficient. So as you can imagine in that process, there are ups and downs that happen with our learning and our cognition um, that's part of normal development. But when development deviates towards a, a difference, a developmental difference, it becomes apparent to the parents that this is a stage where something unusual is happening. And so parents often will see or call that a regression, although it may be part of how the brain actually develops. Makes sense. Wow, what a fascinating uh, area. of, uh, And thank goodness for people like you who are uh, on top of this and, and helping to guide us and guide these discussions. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me.